Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors read their articles or discuss them with ABR staff. My name is Peter Rose, and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version, or just $60 for print plus online. In this week's ABR podcast, we learn about the new tests facing Italy's fragile political system in a commentary by Claudio Bozzi titled Under the Beach Umbrellas. Claudio Bozzi, a barrister and lecturer in law at Deakin University, describes the chaotic seaside campaign that took place in the lead up to the September general election. He concludes with a postscript on Italian politics written in the days after his commentary went to print. Here is Claudio Bozzi reading Under the Beach Umbrellas, which appears in the October 2022 issue of ABR. The election of the 25th of September delivered a clear victory to the centre-right. Italy awoke to a country leaning more to the right than it has at any time since World War II, or at least in the history of the Republic. There have been a number of expectedly impulsive responses from the world press, which characteristically ignores, caricatures, distances, and frankly ridicules Italian politics, for which no doubt Italian politics must absorb some blame. CNN was representative of the international reaction as it declared that Giorgia Meloni claims victory to become Italy's most far-right prime minister since Mussolini. On the 16th of September, Mario Draghi had broken his self-imposed silence and spoken on the election. He said, in relation to an investigation by US authorities into the Russian influence on electoral campaigns since 2014, that Italian democracy is strong and that it would not be beaten by external forces or i loro pupazzi prezzolati, their hired puppets or hired goons. He observed, countering the tendency to reduce the centre-right to its most radical elements, that it was a collection of many points of view. And, in a veiled reference to Meloni, he said of relations with President Orbán of Hungary, choose your friends wisely. The most important thing, he urged, is that everyone votes. But Italians did not vote, and they did not in large numbers. 40% of the eligible electorate did not bother to turn up at the booths. It was obvious from the start of the campaign that the real enemy of the democratic system would be abstention. And the election was not in the end a triumph of Italian democracy, as the only mass party was the party of absent voters. And anyone who pursues public life in Italy must reflect with horror on the fact that the majority of civil society chose to remain silent. Indeed, voter turnout was at an historical low at 63.9%, 
the lowest percentage by a large margin. From 2006, when 84% of the electorate participated, Italy has lost 10 million voters. There may be many reasons for this. Perhaps a short campaign staged in the Italian summer was to blame. Or was it in fact fundamentally the result of a general disinterest, indifference and distrust, that of a people who want not just electoral participation, but a fulfillment of the expectations of representation. It was thought that the election would continue the decade of parties and leaders who had wanted to break the system. Renzi, Berlusconi, Salvini and Grillo. And that there was a desire in the electorate to send incumbents home and propose a new direction. Meloni and Calenda were the untried candidates, the politicians who had yet to fail. And it worked for Meloni, who had never governed and who had only ever been a junior minister for youth affairs, but who had not been parachuted into a role and had constructed her own career as her autobiography, I, Georgia, and her mother attested, da sola, unaided and unaccompanied. And it was thought that it would work equally for Calenda that many in the centre-right would look to the Calenda and Renzi alliance. The clear winner was Fratelli d'Italia with 26% of the vote. The age of protest in Italy continues with Meloni. The strength of leadership and leadership approval has fallen dramatically. Six years ago, Matteo Renzi attracted 40% of the vote. Four years ago, Luigi Di Maio captured 39% of the vote. By contrast, Meloni's 26% is precipitous. Meloni, who was represented as an extreme right candidate, conducted a largely moderate campaign, particularly pro-Atlantic and against increasing the budget deficit. Her tone in victory was respectful, considerate, and aware of the need to orchestrate an equilibrium. Her capacities and qualities have been in evidence throughout both her stewardship of the party and the election campaign, and it is impossible not to reflect on this in the context of a convincing victory. Given the decisiveness of the victory, the problem for Meloni is not opposition, but social and economic facts and a demanding nation. Government will have to be severe and make unpopular choices. Finita la pacchia, Meloni now famously said in reference to Italy's place in the EU. Pacchia is an unusual term, a medieval word for a fattened pig, a word which Meloni used to announce the end of illusions. But the pacchia Meloni was referring to was the 236 billion euro investment the EU made into Italy to undertake necessary environmental, digital and economic reforms. She has promised to renegotiate it. And while many on the left decry the prospect of squandering an unprecedented opportunity, there is some sense in revisiting a package which was delivered in a one to 2% inflationary environment 
at a time when inflation is many times that and has eaten away the capital and when the global situation has changed and has altered priorities. The question now for the centre-right is what equilibrium will emerge between Fratelli d'Italia and its vanquished allies, the Lega and Forza Italia, especially the Lega, the most weakened of its alliance partners. The first signs of strain were evident almost immediately, Salvini insisting that he would only support the government he formed part of on condition of being appointed Minister of the Interior. This form of blackmail has not been seen before, even in Italian politics, where c'è sempre un mai visto, there is always something unprecedented. Salvini remains the uncomfortable proposition who wants to return to the powerful ministry. Although with only 8% of the vote, that seems impossible. Meloni must find a way of diffusing Salvini without its backfiring on her. And not only Salvini, but others who are seeking ministries in public pronouncements without letting the work of forming government and the constitutional process of appointment even start. Apart from Fratelli d'Italia, the other winner in this election was the M5S. Giuseppe Conte, for political purposes, has regretted the decision to arm Ukraine and become a no-vaxxer. While in the Draghi government, he conducted a virtually daily campaign opposing Draghi's military spending in support of Ukraine. But Conte Bis, the second Conte government after the defection of the Lega, had instituted the largest program of military expenditure in Italian history. Conte became a supreme campaigner during this election, holding rallies reminiscent of Steve Jobs announcing a new range of Apple products. He continued to use the war in Ukraine for party purposes, saying in Catania, Sicily, that this country is upside down. Those who earn least are sent to war, while those who earn most remain comfortably safe. The various scissions that the M5S suffered did not harm it. If anything, they helped to clarify its identity rather than threaten it. Removing opposing internal forces relieved ambiguity for the electorate and reaffirmed the party's commitment to traditional positions. Formally, when asked if the M5S was of the left or of the right, Conte would say neither. During the election campaign, he said that it is the only truly progressive party in the country, indeed in Europe. The M5S achieved its resurgence by becoming the party of the South. This is a return to the party's base. In 2018, when it had 33% of the national vote, it had 42% in the South. Conte's promise to defend the reddito di cittadinanza, a welfare payment, made a deep impression with poorer Southern voters. While Meloni, who was looking to the North to sweep up votes which the Lega and Forza Italia were losing from disappointed former adherents, called both the reddito and the salario minimo, the minimum salary, 
un specchietto per le allodole, a mirror for larks or a trap for fools, and state-administered sedatives. The M5S now have the same number of boats in the north as the centre-right have in the south. The Lega, which could only attract 8% of the boat, faces an identity crisis. It has paid for Salvini's national ambitions and his parliamentary ambiguity. Salvini tried to extend its northern stronghold and turn the party into a national party. But whatever traction it gained in the South, primarily through stoking the migration issue and making migration the reason for and answer to every problem, it has largely lost. In truth, the anti-migration agenda only ever played to a small audience at a confined historical moment, and all attempts to revive it have frankly been embarrassing. Carlo Calenda of Azione dared to say that a result of less than 10% would have been a political failure. In the end, he had to be satisfied with a disappointing 7.7%. Azione were looking for votes from in the Lusi, the disappointed, from the left and the right. From the left, they were seeking those who would otherwise not vote and thereby deliver a vote to the right. But they did not take votes from the Partido Democratico of the left. That was done by the M5S. Instead of the formation of a third poll, a center, the electorate remained largely bipolarized. And the center, which Renzi had managed to construct when he became prime minister, never materialized. As for the Partito Democratico and the left generally, although at 19%, it improved by 3% its position of four years ago, it attracted 900,000 fewer votes in real terms. Its secretary, Enrico Letta, did not hold a press conference, but its normally disciplined spokesperson, Debra Seracchiani, said, regrettably, of the result, this is a bad day for Italy. Ever since 2007, when the party was born under Volta Veltroni, it has never won an election. It lost in 2013, in 2018, and in 2022. This year, it has even lost traditional stronghold seats in Rome, which went to Fratelli d'Italia, and it could not halt the tide in the normally liberal Tuscany, where Fratelli d'Italia won 10 of 13 seats. Talk now is only of reconstruction. The PD cannot continue to resolve its problems with party congresses and other mechanisms which only reproduce its strategies and approaches in slight variation. Although Letta's performance during the election was seen as dignified, never lowering the tone of the issues, a scene change is essential. Letta had been elected secretary of the PD on the basis of his ability for dialogue as a federator, which he proved incapable of realizing. And while it is hard enough for any politics to forge alliances, the disciplined right managed to do it, while the left found it impossible. 
what should have been a Campo Largo turned out to be a Campo dei Miracoli, a field of dreams. The PD refused to align with the M5S, which brought down the Draghi government, while the PD had done everything it could to sustain it. And it is unrealistic to say that in hindsight, it should have acted differently, because at the time, anyone would have done the same. But its subsequent choices, for example, the brief flotation with Calenda's Azione party, attracted friendly fire. The PD also had a problem with its electoral agenda. It went into the election promising to deliver the Draghi agenda and not its own. But the Draghi agenda did not exist. It was a technical government with technical solutions and no social program. And it conducted a largely responsive campaign rather than guiding it. But the issue for the PD and for the left in Italy is not as simple as constructing broader alliances, because this election has revealed something more significant than a failing of strategic choices, which goes beyond the defeat of the left and even beyond the victory of the right. The problem is that discontent in Italy, as registered in the oppositional and protest vote, and in unprecedented and alarming levels of abstention, has arisen since 2018. And the PD is perceived as part of the establishment. This means that the pain felt in the country as deep and unmanageable inequality and as 30 years of wages stagnation now represents the electoral majority. In 2018, discontent had been identified by the Lega and the M5S, which on that basis obtained the majority of the seats in a larger parliament. But the Lega and M5S failed to quell and satisfy the protest vote, nor have other measures such as the reddito di cittadinanza, and neither has the Draghi government for that matter. Discontent is now greater and identified with Fratelli d'Italia, and it is up to Meloni to discharge that debt to the discontented. And the danger is that her party and her coalition will not, so that in five years, the country will face an even more intense version of populism. So the left must take as its point of departure, not a change of leadership, but an analysis of the causes of inequality and construct a political identity around a solution. And the left must be a coalition, as Prodi said and did. It cannot be represented by a party. It must undergo its Bad Gottesberg, yes, but it must also refer to Mitterrand's reform of French socialism and bring together the diverse factors that constitute the left. Five years of stable government is better than continued instability. And as Serakiani admits, five years of continuous opposition may also be just what the left needs. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to AVR? 
subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.